Looking to stand out from the pack at your first job? When you earn a master's in management from Georgetown, you'll gain the skills employers value most, elevating your career prospects for years to come. Get started at choosegeorgetown.com slash MIM. Welcome to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the faculty chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hi, Fred. Hope you had a nice Christmas. Thank you. And uh, we've got uh, a new year just ahead of us. And it's time for the final podcast of this year. And it has been eventful. Before taking a look back, uh, let's get into some of the latest from the Smart Driving Car newsletter. From Adam Jonas at Morgan Stanley, the top 10 potential surprises for global autos and space in 2019. Among the predictions, a decline in global auto production for the first time in nine years. Uh, Yes, I I don't think that's much of a surprise because much of the production over the past uh, nine years has been to make up for the the lack of sales uh, in the 2008-2009 period. So it was, you know, everybody sort of playing catch-up, and all the catching up has has taken place. And now maybe uh, there's, uh, we've maybe hit peak uh, auto, uh, new auto uh, sales, especially um, if um, the, uh, uh, the Ubers and the Lyfts and the DDs of this world continue to uh, expand, uh, and maybe we're seeing some people maybe uh, stop buying cars and looking at other ways uh, to get around. So um, uh, I sort of agree. It's probably the first time in nine years. It sounds really ominous at, at Ford. He's forecasting uh, Ford is going to be laying off 25,000 or more employees about double the cuts at GM. Now this is his forecast. We're not we're not trying to say Ford has announced this, but this yeah. is his forecast and they're saying he's he's thinking they'll probably cut their dividends in half. Yeah, I, I, hey, that's his business to watch all those things. I I don't watch Ford, so I guess I, you know, really I make a lot of comments on a lot of things I don't watch. Uh, I certainly don't watch Ford. So uh, again, that that's that's really interesting. And Tesla, he believes, will take over a closed GM plant in Ohio. We had kind of speculated about that earlier, half in jest. And he's not optimistic on the direction and end state of autonomous vehicles, though. He says, if anything, the use of safety drivers will rise. Well, that is the most uh, ominous uh, prediction that he has. That's his number six. And... um, and uh yes this is um this is a uh, reality check on uh, the whole business um uh, driverless requires driverless uh else um all the benefits essentially all the benefits all the substantial benefits uh, don't accrue um uh you don't uh, hey if if we could do it now with Uber Lyfts, DDs of the world. Um, that's with the driver. And uh, the argument, at least the argument that I use as to um, why we can't just uh, do everything that way is that there just aren't enough 
Uber, Lyft, DD drivers around in the world to provide all the mobility uh, that we then provide for ourselves as, as we chauffeur ourselves around. Um, and uh, in order to uh, to basically um, uh, do the uh, transfer of, of the internalized labor charges that we internalize when we drive ourselves or when we drive our kids or our spouses or our friends, uh, uh, the only way that we, at least most of us or many of us, could afford to do that is if we don't have to to uh, accrue a labor charge. And the only way that we can do that, uh, at least um, that's on the table today, is having automation do it for us and having that automation end up because of Moore's Law and those kinds of things end up being really inexpensive. Uh, then all of a sudden you have the um, you're able to instead of internalizing the labor charge as we do when we drive ourselves around, uh, you can externalize it through the automation and achieve somewhat the the, the same let's say um, uh, economic efficiency in moving people around. If you then do that along with ride sharing, then you even improve that economic efficiency and uh, all the environmental and energy implications of, of ride sharing also get tagged along. But that only happens if you've been able to um, uh, basically uh, not have labor charges on top of this mobility. If all of a sudden now this, this new invention that we have an autonomous taxi now has to have one or two attendants on board. And, uh, you know, those attendants are safety drivers. So therefore they have to, they probably, uh, you know, coming out of, out of Silicon Valley are demanding, um, uh, pay packages that, that uh, make, uh, make the uh, labor agreements at New Jersey Transit, um, drool. Um, I mean, then uh, all of a sudden, uh, my goodness, uh, the the fundamental element that that is the disruptive element of this, that is um, uh, the elimination of the labor charge associated in mobility, all of a sudden becomes an, an even larger labor charge. Uh, this stuff's not going to go anywhere. So, um, uh, sure. We can have uh, attendants on board for the very few first ones that we try to make sure. Or as we start service, we can have them on board to make sure everything's working right. But very quickly, or at least um, in a, I don't know how long that time scale went quickly, but at some point, you have to basically bite the bullet and say, my goodness, uh, we're not going to have the elevator operator in the elevator. And uh, I always use the elevator analogy. Uh, we wouldn't have uh, very many medium-sized buildings, um, medium-tall buildings, if we had to have uh, safety drivers in elevators. Uh, my goodness, uh, who could afford that? Um, and uh, the same thing is true in horizontal mobility. Uh, very few of uh, us, and, and doesn't include me, uh, can afford to have a chauffeur. Um, 
we've created a society where we chauffeur ourselves and then we basically charge ourselves zero to chauffeur ourselves around. So we've internalized that. And in fact, we've gone even farther and uh, we, we repair and we maintain and we change spark plugs and we change oil and oil filters and, and rotate the tires ourselves. Uh, and we've internalized those charges um, that's made that then from our perception a very inexpensive mobility for ourselves. If we choose to do this for society, we have to find a way to provide the same mobility without having uh, uh, with incurring just as much uh, explicitly in labor charges as we do implicitly today. And, and that means the automation. And if it, that it has to bring along safety drivers, one, oh my goodness, two, uh, this is dead on arrival. It's not going to go anywhere. So um, uh, yes, uh, let's make sure that it is safe. Let's be careful in the beginning. Absolutely, there's no hurry. Even if we take a few of them out of there, we're not saving much. But the system just does not have an opportunity to scale. It will never. It won't be anything. But even the the niches of the niche uh, mobility elements. So. Uh, uh, that is a very ominous prediction uh, by um, by uh, one of the persons who's been really gun ho about the driverless mobility opportunities, uh, leading to you know ten trillion dollar a year annual businesses and blah blah blah. So um, uh, that's a lot of cold water on this hot topic um, today. And I suppose that's why the street uh, had a headline that read. Driverless cars will be the biggest investment write-off ever. Um, yeah, if we can't get if we can't get out of this thing, if in fact if somebody says legislation, you got to have a safety driver. I mean, come on, you know, hey, uh, you can't stick a, a, a longer, sharper, deeper uh, 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 needle or 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 sword into the into the chest of this. I mean, that that that's Harry Carey. Uh, it's dead. Zooks, in the meantime, uh, Z-O-O-X, has received the first permit in California from the Public Utilities Commission uh, to transport passengers in self-driving vehicles. The, the caveats here are they can't charge and they do need to have those safety drivers. So it's yeah, a step. So it, is, it is a step. It is a step, but again, it's self-driving, not driverless. Okay, and if you have safety, and if you have to have safety drivers in there, uh, then uh, okay. But you know, we know that the the, the California PUC regulations were only uh, supposed or temporary ones, only lasting one year, and uh, I guess we're at least six months into that year. So, it's, you know, something like six months from now, they're going to review that. Uh, they also have some limitations. In it uh, that that says that that, um, that you can't uh, offer shared rides. In other words, you can't offer rides to to people uh, to two groups that are not uh, not connected, and, uh, and so therefore it is uh, it is a very onerous reg first year regulation. Hey, that's fine for the first year. If you're going to make that continuing. Oh my goodness, the dagger. That's another, you know, that's a, that's, you know, a three foot 
dagger going through your chest. Um, we're dead. You know, no ride sharing. What's the point, right? If, there, if you can't do ride sharing, I think what's the point? Uh, and the second, you know, let people drive themselves. And the and the the other piece is you 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 won't be able to provide mobility to uh, to the mobility disadvantaged and so on. So uh, you know, um, again, it's I call it, it's a segue. You know. <sighs> Uh, it's a nice little niche thing for the seg holds, but you know, otherwise, forget about it. On the opposite side of the of the country, uh, there's a new future of transportation report from the state of Massachusetts. Uh, some of the key takeaways there, Alan. Well, yeah, I mean, they they did an in depth, and and in some sense, it uh, it uh, it's uh, somewhat of a very sober look at transportation. It is uh, largely. Um, you know, business as usual. They do um, have, uh, have a, a section on on automated and connected vehicles. Um, uh, they they haven't latched on to the real you know mo- mobility for the mobility disadvantage, and that's the economically disadvantaged or those that exist in the transit deserts. Uh, they really haven't picked up on that. Again, it's it's almost uh, more traditional. Uh, look at it, um, uh, but it's um, uh, they had, of course, very good people for I think two years who are working on this in, in Massachusetts, and uh, and uh, it's uh, it's it is a move forward. And it does say the transportation system needs to move more people in fewer vehicles, but it seems to say relying on electrified driverless vehicles right now is a bit of a guessing game. Uh, yes, and and of course it is. It is a guessing game, but it it's a guessing game. But it's a uh, it's a game in which they can provide leadership. Um, if they're you know, it almost seems like they're waiting for others to do it, as opposed to saying uh, maybe this has such opportunities that we're really going to work to see what it takes to make it happen. And in a sense, you know, this is really what I'm trying to get New Jersey to get to to do is is to is to uh, get into the leadership role. I, I mean, that's what Arizona and and California have done. Uh, in a sense, a little bit Michigan, Ohio, um, and certainly Florida have done. Um, and and I think uh, I think uh, one one needs to uh, one needs to to basically. Um, um, uh, say, hey, yes, this is tough, but but it seems as if the opportunities are worth us working together to try to see if we can make it happen. Um, it's going to be disruptive. Um, the the traditional auto business is, uh, is doesn't thrive. Uh, um, Adam Jonas's thoughts that hey, we've had peak auto sales. <laughs> Yeah, really then go on, not just for one year, but, but for years uh, on infinitum. So, um, uh, you know, it is tough on some, but uh, it, is an, it is an opportunity. I think it's an opportunity for society to provide, uh, to provide an improved uh, quality of life and, and economic um, opportunity to folks who have been, um, who have been left behind. And also those that are up there in the the front part. So it's interesting, perhaps, that uh, the traditional automakers, in a sense, are maybe left behind here. They're they're hurting economically. 
may not have the same kind of funds to invest, and it's companies like Google and other tech companies that, that may be leading the way. Well, maybe, although, you know, you look at the GM and, and Cruise, they've been able to attract um, um, uh, funding to be able to pursue this, and, and it, is, it is a pivoting of the company. Uh, taking a company that that's used to selling you something and then saying, hey, you go take care of yourself with this and, in fact, come back next year and buy another one, you know, is, is a different business than saying we're going to make these things, we're going to operate them too. I think they end up operating them and delivering the mobility and then providing and delivering that mobility, that is where, that is the, the value that we're going to deliver for society. And that's where we're going to basically uh, claim our, our revenue stake and, and our profitability and, um, and uh, make these things a going uh, profitable concern. You know, it's like uh, setting up a, um, a lemonade stand, you know. We're not going to, you know, sell lemonade because, and it's going to taste good for people, and we're going to continue to produce it, and we're going to just um, have a business in which uh, in which uh, our profitability and revenue is associated with the cash flow from actually selling a good product uh, on a day-to-day, trip-by-trip uh, basis to everyone. So. A mobility as a service. And uh, the DOT is uh, trying to help push things along, I suppose. They've uh, announced the, a notice of funding opportunity for automated driving system demonstration grants up to $60 million in, in federal funding for, for these grants. So I'm, I assume there are going to be quite a few entities lining up, hoping. Yes, I would imagine this is uh, really the first uh, real uh, funding opportunity for demonstrations of automated vehicles, and it is focused on automated vehicles. And um, they have the $60 million available. Uh, I guess it's almost 25 years ago I proposed to uh, Port Authority and New Jersey Transit uh, Probably what still remains uh, the best um, um, deployment opportunity uh, for automated vehicles, and that's uh, basically um, automating the headway control function of the buses uh, that use the exclusive bus lane leading into uh, Manhattan every morning. Um, that bus lane, uh, you know, it probably the most efficient transportation facility in the world. Um, it produces in a in a counterflow lane. It delivers thirty five thousand seated passengers into Manhattan, um, and uh, basically uh, costs nothing to operate it. It does it over a relatively small fleet of I think it includes something like three thousand buses, and um, it just does it in day in and day out. One of the interesting observations from that operation is that its capacity at uh, approximately 700 buses per hour is really limited uh, by the variance of the headway that drivers can maintain uh, between buses um, uh, during an hourly period. Uh, That variance uh, causes the capacity to be basically 700 buses per hour. By simply um, uh, improving the variance and slightly reducing the actual mean of the headway, 
you can actually go and uh, and deliver on that uh, on that facility uh, something like 1,100 buses per hour, and that's doable with existing um, in, um, intelligent cruise control uh, that's on uh, you know numerous vehicles in the showroom today. So with essentially te existing technology, you can have a, a 50% improvement in the capacity and the throughput and the number of seated passengers that you can bring into Manhattan uh, from New Jersey. There's no other demonstration that gives you that kind of mobility productivity. Now, of course, once you get the buses into Manhattan, you need a bus terminal that can eat them. And uh, but given that the Port Authority is now considering building a new bus terminal, they better be building it so that in fact they can eat uh, maybe 1,100 buses per hour instead of the 700 buses per hour that it currently eats. And if they do that, then all of a sudden you basically provide it by just putting in uh, uh, headway control technology into 3,000 buses an equivalent carrying capacity that, that that's equivalent to uh, the two rail tunnels that you want to build at who knows what, $10, $15 billion. It's, it's, it's like a no-brainer. And, uh, of course, uh, the Port Authority can do it, do it very easily. Um, um, I won't say, well, I guess they're looking into it finally after 25 years. Uh, but whatever, um, uh, but it would be nice and probably it would behoove uh, the federal government to jump on board and participate in, in such a demonstration. You couldn't think of one that would have a bigger payback. Um, although, if you look at the details of the, of the basic request for proposal there, it says it has to be level three, whatever the heck that means. And that's the SAE levels, you know, rearing their ugly heads again. And uh, the technology you need for the for the three thousand buses um, uh, to operate here is is really a level one technology. So it probably uh, might be deemed by DOT. Oh my goodness, uh, this is this is too uh, um, uh, um, this isn't an advanced enough technology for us to be um, bothering with. I don't know, but whatever. Um, we'll see what comes out of the whole process. And then uh, I saw today online a new Michigan state study uh, being reported says rainy weather confounds self-driving cars. I guess not not terribly yeah, surprising. Well, uh, not terribly surprising. And, and uh, uh, yeah, uh, there still needs to be some work. Uh, and, and rainy weather confronts. Uh, human-driven cars. Uh, it seems to me that I was driving down the New Jersey Turnpike once in the middle lane, and all of a sudden I started doing 360s, uh, you know, spinning around, all of a sudden seeing the traffic coming at me and then with me and at me and before I finally hit the, hit the median. So, yeah, um, uh, convention, uh, Alan Kornhauser driving technology gets to be... Um, Gets to be challenging rainy weather. Um, hey, I was going too fast, and I hydroplaned, and I had it on cruise control. Da, 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 da. But you know, um, sure, okay. Um, uh, but the opportunity with with the driverless vehicles is that, in fact, they're going to be controlled, and they aren't going to, they aren't going to be speeding or going too fast in those conditions. And they'll be driving a heck of a lot better than I was driving when I was 
doing the three sixties on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. Well, glad you're okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. People miss me. I mean, I don't know how they miss me. I have no idea how they miss me. And when I finally hit the median, you know, I was probably going only 15 miles an hour. Yeah, no, I have, I'm a very lucky person. I have been mock on wood, blah, blah, blah. I have nothing to complain about. Although I do a lot of complaining here, don't I, Fred? I'm sorry. I shouldn't be complaining. <laughs> well, here we are at the end of 2018. And looking back, I suppose there are two companies that dominated the self-driving news this year, Google's Waymo and Uber, but for very different reasons. Yeah, it, it was it was it was a big year. There was there was a lot of progress. The fact that the fact that that Waymo actually went out there and sent some vehicles out there without anybody in them in Arizona, and hey, they didn't crash. Nobody, they didn't. They they worked. They worked well. Is just a, an enormous accomplishment because before this year we had gone basically, you know, ten vehicle miles worldwide, driverless in a, you know, in a normal road environment uh, with uh, other other traffic. So, um, uh, enormous accomplishment. Um, the the Elaine Herzberger crash. Um, is it's it's monumental. I you know I I I haven't looked very closely, but you know I don't I don't think Toyota's back out there driving even with with um, with attendance. I I'm, somebody please point out that I'm mistaken on that. You know they they basically went and looked at internally and said, oh my goodness, and and I don't think they're back out there. Uh, um, that that was a real. Um, um, uh, a rude awakening by everyone, and 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 Uber uh, needs to be slapped on the wrist of that one. They misbehaved, you know. Sending a vehicle out there uh, with with the automated emergency braking system turned off, and or operating in a domain where the uh, automated emergency braking system is turned off. Is I mean, um, that's just misbehaving. I, it, how can you do that? And um, and so, um, uh, my goodness, um, uh, we're paying the, the price of that. Um, and hopefully, we can we can well, I, we will have to overcome it. Else, else, all the benefits associated with this are just not going to accrue. If we're just going to have Teslas out there in in, in self-driving modes or Tesla equivalents with autopilot, so that uh, we uh, we own them, we sit in them, we have to we have to sit there and, and be the attendant, uh, then all the mobility opportunities, uh, mobility as a service, um, uh, just uh, never accrue. Um, they 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 um, they. Um, they basically uh, just uh, um, die on the vine, and um, and it would be a shame. So uh, somehow we have to move along. Uh, we have to be careful of of the regulation and the oversight uh, and uh, that is put on. And certainly we don't want the regulation and oversight to be such that, hey, my goodness, 
um, we're going to put liability limits on, on anybody who's out there so that if, if there is a crash, uh, there's an upper bound on the, on the, uh, on the potential liability. I don't think that makes uh, allows the the industry uh, to be to uh, to do this as as intensely and as safely as they could. It's it's good to have I think the stick uh, hanging over their heads. Uh, let them do it well. Uh, in fact, uh, when you get right down to it, uh, you know one crash is devastating. Uh, but the actual, you know, uh, direct economic impact of a single crash isn't, is in some sense that devastating if it's rare enough. Um, um, but, um, anyway, uh, those are the two big things. There have been other, there's been a lot of other prog progress by a lot of other uh, participants here. Um, and, uh, but uh, if we look at around the world, um, you know, we, we've, we, we've had a pause here. Uh, we've had a reality check. We've had a, a situation in which we all say, hey, um, let's be careful. And I think I'd also like to point out with respect to Tesla, in, in my looking at, at the Tesla data and the Tesla history, the autopilot in self-driving for vehicles that we own ourselves, that we provide basically conventional mobility as as we've been doing it for ourselves for the past, you know, 100 years or however, uh, seems to really work for a large number of, of, of um, situations. Uh, the one situation that we haven't dealt with well enough or it doesn't seem to be that we've dealt with well enough is, uh, is the automated emergency braking when there's a stationary object in the lane ahead. Uh, that's where the progress needs to be made. That um, make that progress on the self-driving, and, and self-driving uh, you know, is really, uh, really works really good. Provides uh, value to to the car owner and the auto industry. As I said, this is great. Um, um, uh, Fins and, and and Chrome for the auto industry. This is a great add-on for them to sell, and people will buy it. Uh, but it doesn't provide mobility. Um, it doesn't provide the improvement in energy. It doesn't deal with, with greenhouse gases. It doesn't deal with congestion. It, in fact, you know, uh, makes all of those worse. Why? Because both personal miles traveled is going to go up and vehicle miles traveled is going to go up because we're still one person in one car out there all by ourselves, you know, um, having that piece of metal, you know, basically uh, attached at the hip. So uh, that's where we are, but it's, it's uh, boy, if we didn't have the Elaine Herzberg thing, who knows where we would be at this point. But, you know, again, uh, you can't sit here with the ifs. We did. We have to deal with it. We have to become better. It pointed out some very, very, very bad practices uh, that were out there that people may or may not even realize that they were having that bad practice. And that has to be And fixed. we should point out here at year's end, uh, Uber has resumed testing just recently in Pittsburgh, but with a lot of changes and we assume a lot more caution. Yeah, well, uh, I, I, they may have been conscious. They, they just, uh, something fell through the crack. Oh, my goodness. And it, it was a bad one. 
Um, who knows how many other, we, we've got to be careful, uh, you know, go back and make sure there aren't any more cracks. <laughs> I don't know how you And do as you that, mentioned, though. a lot of other companies, uh, big and small, are doing an awful lot behind the scenes, even during this period where a lot of the testing was, was, uh, was being held off. There's been so much work going on behind oh, the yes, scenes. There, there, yeah, and there's been a lot of technology development and so on and so forth. But, you know, I think the other comment with respect to, um, to, um, uh, attendance on board and, and, and the driverless piece. If, if you, if you're just going to do self-driving, if you're just going to do Tesla, you don't need LiDAR. Okay. LiDAR is only valuable if you do driverless. You may not even need it then, but at least there, you know, you can make arguments that you need it. Um, if, 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 if Tesla can really put in a, a working, um, um, automated emergency braking system that really uh, performs well with respect to object, stationary objects in the lane ahead and can do that without LIDAR, you then, you know, that any LIDAR just provides a very, very marginal improvement over, over what the, the autopilot uh, package um, uh, does uh, for Tesla and probably uh, suggests that the LIDAR just um, doesn't end up having a return on investment where it does seem like it, it's, it seems to be needed is for everybody who's really trying to do driverless, uh, they have LIDAR on there. And so if, if you're, you know, if you're in the LIDAR business, um, um, you're not going to sell very many of them on self-driving cars. You have the opportunity to sell a lot of them on driverless cars. But the only way that a lot of those things are going to really be out there uh, providing mobility as a service is if they're driverless. So um, um, I suggest that LiDAR companies are, are basically uh, betting the ranch on driverless actually becoming something other than a Segway. And I'll just throw this out here at the, at the end, Alan. Want to venture uh, prognostication? about what we might be talking about a year from now? Well, um, you know, as, as, as I've mentioned, uh, you know, here in New Jersey, we're trying to get New Jersey to be a player, <clears throat> and not only a player, but a leader. Uh, there, there really needs to be a group. Uh, I know Michigan is trying to do it in Ohio uh, also, but the, you know, we're sitting here in New Jersey, really, um, as I like to think, we are a microcosm of much of the United States, 80, 90 percent of the United States. You know, there's also the very rural and there's also the very, very urban. That's the Manhattans of this, of this world, of which we only have one in, in, in really in, in, in the U.S., the rest of it is most of the travel is not to the center of the cities uh, and back and forth to the suburb. It's from suburb to suburb. It's circumferential. Uh, uh, all those uh, ring roads that were built around cities, guess what that did? 
that created the economic development such that where's the action? It's out there uh, along the circumferential. Sure, there is a focus in one in one center, uh, but really it's not it's not all that big when you consider uh, the many to many that occur circumferentially. And uh, and that is uh, that's where um, uh, New Jersey could really provide a lead as to how do we really uh, develop and create an environment for these systems to succeed to provide again mobility as a service uh, to the many to many um, uh, demand situations that exist. And in the uh, in the close in and uh, even a little farther out uh, suburban uh, style of living um, that is prevalent throughout the United States. So uh, hopefully uh, we can point to some uh, advancements here in New Jersey. Uh, but that's what I'm trying to make happen. Um, and um, otherwise, uh, Fred, maybe we'll do a few more podcasts. I'll put out a few more smart driving cars. And um, we'll see what happens. Um, uh, we'll have to really watch how well Waymo really does in Arizona to the extent that they really uh, follow Zooks and provide service in California. Maybe they're going to wait until the year is up on the on the uh, PUC regulations and see what the what the more continuing regulations look like, and then. And then choose to then enter service uh, under under continuing regulations as opposed to temporary regulations, and and to see to the extent that um, that uh, they start service in Texas and Florida and Washington State uh, and maybe New Jersey. Uh, uh, we'll and wait uh, and see. we'd hope to be seeing uh, paid, truly driverless services out there. Yeah, and, and, and focused on providing mobility to the folks who, who, that can benefit most from this mobility. The beauty of it is, is it uses the infrastructure we already have, which is our streets. They're already there. Uh, they could be shared with these vehicles. And in fact, they could go to where, you know, the mobility disadvantaged live and they could take them to the jobs and, and the, the training and the education and the health and the recreational uh, activities that, are, that, that would enhance the lives of those folks and provide them the mobility that, that most of us take for granted because, you know, we have a car attached to our, to our, our hip that we bought at the dealership that we just, you know, internalize all the expenses associated with it. And um, and provide for ourselves. Uh, some people you know, can't afford that, or or capable, or are not capable for one reason or another to doing that. Um, the mobility and, and the lifestyle and the and the opportunities that are then afforded by that mobility uh, should be enjoyed by all. And, and to me, that's that's the opportunity that we have here. And, and that opportunity is just not being delivered by New Jer the New Jersey transits of this world, unless you want to go to Manhattan. Great, take the train to Manhattan. A lot of work to be done, but uh, with people like you on it, we've got some hope, Alan. 
Well, Fred, it's fun doing this. Uh, it's been it's been a great year. We have a lot to be thankful for. It's great working with you, Fred. Thank you, Alan, and uh, here's to many more to come. That is it for this edition. We're wishing you, our listeners, a wonderful new year and a safe one. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, now on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Spreaker, and more. You can ask your smart speaker to play us too, maybe the one you got for the holidays. Find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening. And we might see many of you at CES too. Fred and I will be out there. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.